Happy Saturday, and thank you so much for joining the Aspire to Lead podcast. My name is Joshua Stamper, and I'm so excited about this episode. But before I jump into this conversation, I just want to say that this episode is brought to you by Papa Rob's Coffee. This is by far our favorite coffee in the world, and especially in the Stamper household. So head over to paparobscoffee.com to find so many wonderful medium and dark blends. And don't forget to use the code ASPIRE15 to get 15% off your order, which is specific only to Aspire listeners. So head over. There's amazing packages of coffee and then also subscriptions. That's what we get every single month. We get our package, which I love. And, you know, we have the fresh blend waiting for us with the Papa Rob's special blend of gourmet coffee. So again, head over to paparobscoffee.com, use the code ASPIRE15, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed as you drink a warm cup of fantastic coffee. Just a reminder, Ray Hewitt, Jeff Gargas, and myself will be at the FETC conference. I had a wonderful conversation with Dr. Matthew Joseph on his Stronger Together podcast. So head over to YouTube and check that conversation out. But I really am talking about the presentation on Aspire to Lead and participating at the conference with the book signing. If you are still interested in going to the conference, go over to FETC.com, use the code FETC Speaker 23. That'll give you 10% off your registration. We are going to be in New Orleans January 24th and 25th. We would love to connect with you. And if you're going to be at the conference, you can DM me at Joshua double underscore stamper or email me Joshua at teachbetter.com. Again, looking to meet so many fantastic educators at this event. Man, I can't wait. It's coming up very, very soon. Now, let's get to our episode. I have Lauren Kaufman on the episode. We're going to speak about a topic near and dear to my heart, which is mentorship, empowerment through mentorship programs, what she's done in her leadership journey, and the growth that she's seen not only professionally, but personally. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire to Lead, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Lauren, thank you so much for being on the Aspire to Lead podcast. Josh, thank you so much for having me here. I was honored when I got that message from you and you invited me. So thank well, you so much for having me. <laughs> it's been a long time waiting. I've seen so many wonderful content that you produce. And then also a lot of people just say wonderful things about you on social media. And I was like, I have to have Lauren on my podcast. And then you also contributed to a author, Lainey's book, sharing your story about gratitude. And I was just so uplifted by that story and, and what you contributed. I just was like, I got to have her as a guest. Well, I remember what you contributed, and I was also singing your praises <laughs> when I read your chapter in the book and or your contribution, and then um, also listening to you on Leonie's podcast and your own podcast. Thank you. I recently listened to one that you had with Hunter Flesh. I think he's awesome. So you have, you have some good stuff going on, Josh. <laughs> I'm honored to be here. Well, I can't wait for my <laughs> listeners to hear all of your wisdom. But before we dive into some really crucial topics, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your leadership and educational journey. Sure. The trajectory of my career has been remarkable. This is my 17th year in education. When I say 17, I'm like, oh my goodness, wow. Uh, where does the time go? But it, it's been a beautiful journey. I began my career as a teaching assistant, then second and fifth grade classroom teacher, 
Then I decided that I loved literacy and wanted to hone my craft with literacy and teaching kids how to read. Uh, so I became a literacy specialist in elementary school. Then my school district went for job embedded professional learning. And that's when I took on the role of instructional coach. I served in that role for five years. I got to serve as a middle school literacy specialist. And that was interesting because I was teaching virtually and physically simultaneously. I learned a lot that year. And then I decided to take the leap into leadership. And this is my second year as an administrator. Last year, I served as an assistant principal in an amazing school with an amazing principal and leader, teachers and kids. And then all of a sudden, um, now I'm the director of literacy in the same school district, K to 12. So I'm kind of back to my roots uh, and, you know, my passion for literacy and to help develop uh, children into becoming lifelong readers and writers. So that's a pretty big scope. I mean, you went from teacher assistant all the way to a director of literacy. That's incredible. So at what point did you realize that you were ready to, to leave the classroom and, and look at maybe specializing in something and eventually become a leader on a campus or a, a district leader? You know, it's interesting. Uh, when I went out of the classroom, it was first to be a reading specialist. And when you're a reading specialist, you really don't have a classroom of your own. You're either pulling small groups of kids or you're pushing into classrooms. So at first, I really missed being in the classroom because the students weren't mine anymore. You know, I was borrowing the students now. And it was hard. That was a hard transition. But, you know, as a reading teacher, I got to wear many hats. You know, not only was I a literacy specialist, but I was offering some professional learning opportunities to teachers around me. I was very interested in their expertise as well and growing together and collaborating. And I really liked that aspect of it and getting to go into all these different classrooms all the time. I felt like I got to grow my practice and you start seeing things on more of a macro level um, as opposed to being in the four walls of your classroom. And then when my school district went into job embedded professional learning, I was tapped on the shoulder like, hey, Lauren, do you think you'd ever go for this um, instructional coaching role? And it sounded interesting. You know, it was something that I was already doing when I was a reading teacher. And when I went into that role, um, I really, really fostered a love of uh, sharing, collaborating, being a part of a professional learning community, but also beyond that, expanding into a professional learning network. That's when I really discovered social media and how we can really cross-pollinate ideas. Um, you know, just being, you know, on your phone or on your computer, you can learn from so many different people in different spaces. So I think the leader within me has always been inside throughout my journey. And I think it's just evolved over the course of time. So I want to talk about some of your previous positions and, of course, how that helped you with administration. So obviously, as you know, as far as an instructional coach, being a literacy specialist, like how did those jobs specifically help you to become an administrator? Yeah, so I have to give a lot of credit to the role of instructional coach as, as helping me with being the leader I am today. I was really fortunate to have had great mentors throughout my instructional coaching journey. Those mentors who were administrators and teachers, you know, mentors are all around us. Uh, they really believed in distributed leadership. And they gave me a lot of leadership roles in that position. And they really trusted me 
when I had an idea, they would say, Lauren, go, go run with that idea, um, bring it to fruition. And I think that's what great leaders do. Great leaders see the gift in the educators around them. They know how to bring those gifts out and then let those leaders share their gifts with other people. And that's what I think a great leader does. And that's what I try to continue to do now in my role. Um, you know, I don't know it all. I'm not the expert in everything. I certainly have expertise, but I really rely on the people around me to um, help me bring a vision and a mission of a school district to life in a variety of ways and, and through a variety of different pathways too. So I want to hone in on that mentorship piece because I think that's so important. So was that something that you were seeking yourself or did it just kind of naturally progress and you just suddenly had someone that believed in you and, and became your mentor? Mm -hmm. So when speaking about mentorship, I forgot to mention when I talked about the trajectory of my career, I also served as the mentor coordinator for my former school district, K-12. And in those couple of years I did that, I really understood what mentorship was all about and its impact. I think throughout the years, I've had different mentors in my life. I write about this all the time, how there are people that come into your life for moments, for minutes, for hours, for days, for months, for years, all different increments of time. And it's meant to be for a reason. I don't think you have to have a formal mentor to call someone a mentor. These are people who have come into your life and they've offered you advice about how to navigate any situation you're in or how to not navigate any situation you're in. I look at people whose ideas um, I wouldn't emulate and I look at them as mentors too because I get to say, hmm, I wouldn't do it that way, but I would do it this way. So I think throughout the years, I've had so many mentors in my world. You know, of course, starting with my parents, my grandfather, they were the most amazing educators. And up to now, my, uh, my, my biggest mentor is my fourth grade teacher, who she retired as an assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction. She mentored and guided me into becoming this leader that I am today. She helped prepare me for all my interviews. And it's funny how it comes full circle, right? Here I was sitting in her fourth grade class, you know, and she taught me how much to love reading and writing. She always had this innovative lens for teaching and learning. And uh, the fact that I, I still keep in touch with her today is a testament to who she is as a person and as a leader. She certainly left a legacy in my heart and my mind. And I think the best mentors we have do that for us, right? They really pave the way. They are cornerstones in our heart. I think that when I took this leap into leadership, I wanted to be that leader that I always needed. I try to think that way as I navigate this. You know, leadership isn't easy. So we have to have mentors all around us for that guidance and support. We make mistakes along the way because we're learning and we're making so many decisions every single day. And we hope that we're doing the best we can. So holding on to these mentors um, is an important part of our journey. We should always seek the support of others. Going back to when I served as a mentor coordinator, that's when I really saw how these mentor-mentee relationships were really symbiotic in nature, that when you have a mentor, they're teaching you so much, right? But your mentees are also teaching you so much. So it's really like this 
beautiful relationship that develops, especially if you have two people who really gel well together, you know, and I got really interested in the idea of reverse mentorship as well, which I never really got to explore too much because then I left that school district and went on to another. So I didn't serve in that role formally anymore, but I always approach every single day. Yes, I'm a leader, but I look at everyone in an organization, anybody who serves kids as a leader. And I look to everyone at every level of the organization for support, for mentorship, and for leadership. It's amazing that it goes full circle with your fourth grade teacher and what an impact that has made in your life. I love that so much. I want to hone in on kind of the flip side of that coin of being the mentee versus the mentor. So when you are a mentor, and this could be in any of your many roles that you've served in, what are some strategies that you use to make sure that you are pulling out the very best in the person that you are giving guidance to? Yes, my best advice for that is to be yourself through the process. I think when you're a mentor, you can't get so caught up in the granular pieces of the day to day. I think it's all about forming relationships and building strong connections within the community you serve. You know, that goes with your colleagues, with students, with families, um, with all of the stakeholders, because you need to know where you are um, and who you're serving. And, you know, having a mentor when you're a new teacher, it's not just about creating the best lesson plan or learning about all of the procedural types of things, but it's about knowing who you can reach to on the journey when you slip up and you have moments where you fall down because teaching is hard, right? It's, it's education is hard. It's an emotional roller coaster at times. And there are days that sometimes you feel like giving up. But then when you step back and you have that person that you can turn to, you know, it's all worth it at the end. I don't see a, a more gratifying job in the world than being in education. You know, we're impacting the hearts and minds of kids every single day. So with that said, we need to retain great educators. We need to make sure that there is a strong foundation that sets them on this trajectory, this long trajectory, where they feel that they've had, you know, even even during the hard times, they feel like their journey was meaningful and it was worth it because they've had so many interactions, bigger and small, who have paved the way for their success. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. Well, I know you're a big believer in the coaching lens, and I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, as a leader, how we should be observing through this lens. Yeah, so it's interesting. You asked me before, what role have I served in that has most impacted me as a leader? And I would say the instructional coaching role, because when I was in that role, you're a quasi-administrator, you're, you're not a teacher, but you're a teacher on special assignment, but you get to have a lot of interactions with administrators and be in a lot of meetings and see the big picture of things. So when I went into leadership, I really thought about who is the administrator that I want to be? How do I want the, the rest of my career to go? I'm in the driver's seat of my own story. 
I want to create my own narrative of what it looks like, what it means to be an administrator. So what I did was, is I thought back to all the administrators who have made an impact, all of my roles that I've served in and, and the person I currently am, right? And who I'm still striving to be, right? So it's almost like you look back, like past, present, future. Who was I? Who am I now? And who do I want to be? When I think back to the most impactful leaders, they have had a coaching lens. They didn't name it at that time. Maybe they hadn't served in that role as instructional coach, but they had that lens. So, so who are those people? Those are the people who are thinking partners, right? They don't come in with this hierarchy feel. For me, there are no titles in education. You know, we're all in it for kids. There's no hierarchy to me. I'm sitting right next to you having this conversation. We're rowing in this direction together to impact kids. There's no secret in learning for me. So I approach leadership very much like that. Um, I wanna be there to support you. I want to be there to coach you to share best teaching and learning practices, to stay on the cutting edge of best teaching and learning practices because that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Do I still have to do um, Op systems and operational types of things. Absolutely. Yes. I am an administrator. I have to do those things. You know, there are certain things you do that are more transactional in your leadership where you have to check the box, right? You talk about transactional versus transformational leadership. And sometimes you have to navigate those two, those two ways or approaches of leadership. But I have found that since I have been, I, I wrote a blog post called Observing Through a Coaching Lens. And my former principal in the school that I served in uh, last year as an assistant principal, we kind of navigated, it was his first year as principal, it was my first year as <laughs> um, AP, he was the AP before me. And we kind of developed this vision together for what we wanted our observations to look like. We didn't want it to be this scary thing where, where you're coming in and observing a teacher, but more as a as a space to really learn and grow together as a team. Um, so I wrote that blog post and it is probably one of my most well-read blog posts. It, it gets revisited all the time. I can, I can see that <laughs> with the stats. And we have presented it at a local conference, uh, Long Island ASCD. And um, it was a very well-attended session. And I think it was because of, we were almost like blown away, like, oh my goodness, standing room only in here. Um, it was it was so nice to see that other administrators were interested in taking this approach to observation. So yes, I am bringing a lot of that stuff with me. I do a lot of questioning in my approach to leadership. That's very much a coaching lens. You want people to arrive at their own decisions and choices about how they want to approach teaching and learning. Um, always keeping the students at the center of the conversation. What is best for the students? How are the students responding to any practices that we're employing in the classroom? I always love student-centered coaching because you wanna see what are the students doing? How are they responding? You could have the best practices in the world, you know, and if it's not delivered the right way, or if the students are receiving it the right way, then it's not working. So I believe 
through this coaching lens in a comprehensive approach to teaching and learning, right? There was one way that worked for everybody. One, one thing, one, one program, one approach. We'd all be using it, right? For sure. There, there's, there's not. That's why we need each other. And the teachers are the ones on the front lines doing the work. They're the ones with the kids. They're the ones doing this hard work day to day. I need to be listening. That's what coaching is, actively listening to what teachers are doing, to what students are doing, and then coming in and making a suggestion um, based on my experiences. You know, what's nice about being an administrator too is you get to go in all these classrooms and see all these cool things happening. And then you get to like help be that liaison to cross-pollinate those ideas in other spaces. So I think that's cool too. And I always credit people if they allow me. I always ask teachers, like, can I share this with another teacher, you know, and can I credit you? And sometimes teachers will say, no, you don't have to say my name. And sometimes they're like, sure, because I always like to give people credit for things that they're doing. You know, that's a fun way to elevate people, too. Yeah. And Lauren, I think you make a great point. And I think it's well received as far as not only the blog post, but your session is because I think there's a, a, a battle with administrators as far as the evaluation process versus giving quality feedback and having that collaboration between the teacher and the administrator. I know I facilitated every Tuesday with a, a administrative mastermind and last month was on providing feedback to teachers. And I can't tell you how many administrators felt guilty about just the process and how they felt like it was a gotcha moment. And that was set up by the state or, you know, a rubric system that they have to follow and it's mm-hmm. mandated on them. But at the same point, they didn't feel like it was best practice. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised at all that people want to change this to more of a coaching lens, like what you've provided. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting that as education evolves and the landscape that we live in evolves, that people want to change with it. And we have to. We have to come up with new and better ways of doing things because kids are coming to us with different skills than they've had before. And it's hard to keep up with that sometimes. You know, I know with technology, kids, they know everything before us, you know. When, when you have a question about tech, you turn to a kid and they figure it out in two seconds, right? <laughs> yeah, they don't need instructional manuals. They just try and figure it out on their own. And that's the brilliance Exactly. Yeah. I want to turn to some of the projects you've got going on because you are doing so many things beyond, you know, what you're doing in the district. But I do want to hone in on something that you've been working on, which is designing effective distance and blending learning environments for K through 12. So would you share with the listeners as far as what you've been working on? That was a chapter in an educational journal that I wrote that was published about a year ago. It's really awesome. Actually, Tom Murray he actually gave me that lead for this project. And Tom Tom is an awesome guy, good friend. And he, uh, you know, talk about mentors, you know, when when people see things in you and they encourage you and they they say, hey, you're doing this work, you know, would you want to write? Would you want to be a published author? And I think that was the first project where, wow, that took a lot of perseverance. Like, I, I know you've written a whole book and, you know, I have so many friends who are authors and I, I'm always in amazement about the perseverance that it takes. And I just wrote that one chapter in the educational journal. But what's really cool about that, Josh, is that when I was a young girl, I didn't like to read and I was told that I wasn't a strong reader. To be able to write about my experiences with innovating during a time where we were all kind of, we didn't know what to do you know, during the pandemic, you know, and we, we were, 
taking risks and we were trying new things. So the fact that I was able to do that during that time period and go back into the classroom and employ teaching physically and virtually at the same time, I wanted to reimagine what it would be like to bring the workshop model to life in those physical and virtual spaces. And that's really what that's about. What's really nice is that I, um, it's funny, like last summer, I, I said, you know, I'm going to apply to present at NCTE. We'll see what happens. I probably won't get in. You know, I'm thinking like this. And sometimes I think like that. I really shouldn't. And it was a long process to put in that proposal. And then it gets peer reviewed several times. I think it went through like four peer reviews. And then I got it. I got back the acceptance and they said, you can present. And I was like, oh my gosh. So that that happened a couple of weeks ago, actually. And that was surreal to, to go from a little girl who didn't like reading. And I didn't rediscover reading until my 20s. And now all of a sudden I'm at NCTE presenting my work that I wrote about in an educational journal. Josh, when I looked in the mirror that morning, I just, I saw that little girl you know, in me. And I was like, wow, that little girl has come a long way <laughs> since then. Right? Well, I want to know, Lauren, was that any motivation? I mean, like, if you look at your trajectory, as far as becoming an educator and a leader, and it seems like literacy is something that's embedded in a lot of the positions that you hold, including the one that you're in today. Was there any motivation based on what you received as far as feedback as a child? It's funny. There wasn't a tremendous amount of motivation, believe it or not, from that experience. I'll tell you who motivated me was my parents when I was in college. They said, Lauren, you should really go for education. We think it's good for you to have. You know, you're you're really good with kids and all of that stuff. And while I was in college, I actually was in the cosmetics industry. <laughs> And I was in that industry for eight years and I became a trainer for a cosmetics company and I had a great career in cosmetics, actually. My first job that I got in education, I decided I, I wasn't gratified anymore um, doing that, that I needed to go back into education. That's what I went to school for. And uh, the first job that I got on my resume, it's like a funny story, on my resume on the very bottom, it said... Um, that I worked for the, this cosmetics company. That's what I was doing for seven to eight years before. I walk into this interview. This is not a joke. I get grilled by this amazing principal, a, a really hardcore interview. At the end of the interview, she says to me, Lauren, she says, do you know why you're here? I said, did you like my resume? Now my resume had like nothing on it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just hoping that someone would see something in me. You know, I think I was a teaching assistant. I went back to be a teaching assistant yeah. and then I applied. So there was nothing on it. She goes, no, Warren, I didn't like your resume. You have hardly any experience. She was such a straight shooter. So honest. <laughs> she says, but you know, my daughter. I said, I know your daughter. How do I know your daughter? She says, you worked with her in cosmetics in New York City. When she told me her daughter's name, I couldn't believe it. So it's funny how, like, my two worlds collided, yeah. you know, how how connections, right, really can take you places. But it inadvertently took me to education. So when I got back into education, what motivated me, back to your original question, <laughs> was the kids. It was my third year of teaching. And I went to a particular school when I worked with uh, New York City Department of Education. Those kids taught me the particular program that they were they had been using 
for years, that philosophy, that approach to literacy instruction. And I was blown away that these kids were teaching me. They would have, um, my literacy coach would come in to the room and say, Lauren, you should be doing this, this, and this. I learned more from the kids that year than I did from anyone else. And that was my motivation was, wow, what gets kids excited, this excited to read, to write, to speak, to listen to each other, to have dialogue. That's when I realized I wanted to hone my craft. And I started saying, hmm, I really need to go back to my master's in literacy. It was those kids who inspired me. And I'll go back to my teacher, Mrs. Roth in fourth grade. I went back, you know, because there was a time where I was lost on my learning journey in school. You know, it's like you have that one good teacher sometimes, and then it's not that my other teachers weren't good, but they didn't motivate or inspire me maybe as much, some of them, as this fourth grade teacher. So she's like another piece of it, along with my parents, you know. I love it. So (laughs) we talked about your contribution in evolving with gratitude. Would you just share a little synopsis of what you wrote not you don't have to share all of it but it was such a powerful piece and I I would love for folks to not only check out the book but your contribution specifically sure so that was actually around mentorship Um, that's when I was the mentor coordinator in my former school district and when we had shifted to remote learning I was trying to find ways to still connect with the mentors and mentees And one of the things that I used to do at this program is when we would all meet virtually, we would all come into the space and I would put on music and it would be different music at every time. And I'd be dancing, I'd be lip singing and everybody, it's how the cameras started turning on because adults don't always turn their cameras on. So everybody would start turning their cameras on and they would start dancing with me. And it became a thing like, What is Lauren going to play today? What music is it going to be? What is she going to be dancing to? And even if I felt a little embarrassed by it, I did it for them because I saw how happy it made them during a really challenging time. So I took myself out of the equation. And I guess that's a part of gratitude is that we give it without expecting anything back. Uh, We want to kind of like weave it into who we are, into the fabric of our lives. That was one way I showed gratitude toward them. And the other piece of that um, contribution was saying that I would always start a meeting directly after that with sharing best practices from different teachers. Um, So let's say they tweeted out a best practice. I would take screenshots of those tweets. I would put them up and I would, and I, on the heading, it would say celebrating our teacher leaders. So what was really cool about that is that they felt good, like, ooh, who is Lauren going to celebrate today, which made them wanted to want to come <laughs> into that virtual space. Who's Lauren going to celebrate today? Uh, what practice is going to be shared? What ideas am I going to get? And I threw in some raffles with that, too, with Wheel of Names. That's always fun. Who doesn't love a good raffle? <laughs> People would get happy mail home. Um, but what was really cool about that experience is you start seeing When you start seeing kindergarten teachers sharing ideas with high school teachers and employing the same practice, but just different content, different text, that was really cool. It was a really cool experience. Um, People still who were in 
the mentor program during those couple of years that I served in that role, they, um, they still contact me sometimes and say, Lauren, that was like so much fun. You know, I, I, I remember that I have such great memories of that. And, and that makes me feel really good. It brings me a lot of joy. So that's basically what the contribution was about. Yeah, such a powerful piece. And then also wonderful book. So make sure you're checking out Evolving with Gratitude. And Lauren, we're winding down our conversation. I would love to ask you what I asked really all my guests is because, you know, it's it's about aspiring leaders. And, and so for those who are seeking, you know, guidance, if you can give one piece of advice for them to do tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would that be? My one piece of advice is to be yourself. Don't be afraid to share how you feel and what you think. Be courageous in your convictions and use your colleagues around you as support and guidance and sounding boards. That would be my advice because those people are going to lift you up on your journey. And with the be yourself, tell stories. People connect with the with the power. The power of story is is amazing. Make sure that you tell your story, and don't let anybody write your story for you. You write your your own story because when people hear your stories, it you never know. It might inspire them to be a, the person they might have forgotten along the way. So that's another thing. You talked about the importance of connecting with other people, and I would love for my listeners to connect with you on social media. So how can they do that? Sure. Um, you can find me on Twitter at LAU7210. You can find me on Instagram at Lauren M. Kaufman. And you can also connect with me on my platform, my, my uh, website, which is www.laurenm, my middle initial, Kaufman.com. I'd love for you to connect with me. I love meeting new people and sharing ideas. And, you know, that's how we're here today. Right, Josh? You know, we have some mutual friends in common. And (laughs) that's how I got here, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this is embedded through everything you talk about is just the the importance of relationships and connecting with other people. And, you know, because of those connections that you've made over time, you've, you know, seen such growth in your leadership journey. And then also as a person, I think also as a writer and as a speaker and you know so many other facets of of what you provide to education so it has been just a true honor to have this conversation with you and and to learn from your experiences and i'm just so happy that we're connected and that you're on the aspire to be lead podcast thank you so much josh this was so much fun i love this conversation